I'm McGruff the Crime Dog, and welcome to Planet of the Trenchcoats. And I am your resident magical Japanese cat. Who doesn't have a name. I'm going to name you Hiromi. Nice. So we're doing a little mini episode today, right after our, our Japan episode, to talk about Japanese environmental music. And can I just take a second to apologize to our listeners? I mean, our listener. <laughs> Dave's, Dave's mom. Yeah. Uh, about the clicking sounds in the last podcast. That was me fidgeting with Legos. And I, I promise not to do that again. Dave, that's super on brand for you. I know. Well, which Legos were they? I think that's an important question. You know, I got these two little uh, just random Lego sets of random pieces for Christmas and they're sitting on my desk and I was just kind of clicking them together and I made a, a, a grave site and a tree. Oh man. That's amazing. That's very, again, very on brand for David Michael Garrison. Yes. Planet of and also shout out to Dave's mom, Laurel. Hi mom. So I don't know about you. It's, it's cold up here. I'm, I'm wearing a shawl. But I imagine it's like summer in San Diego already. You know, it was chilly today. It got down to 65. <laughs> you have a hard life. Yeah, I, I almost, almost put on socks today. I hope they were cool socks. I hope that you like just like went all out. You're like, the one day of the year I can wear socks. Going to wear some really bright ones. Now, although I am wearing some black and red checkered slippers right now. I look like a lumberjack from the ankle down. I listen to a lot of Japanese music and I love the environmental music which essentially is ambient or background music because i like to just put on vibey stuff that i can have playing while i go about my day um, and i am primarily a graphic designer for my work so it's nice to just have some music on the background that is really interesting that doesn't kind of where the lyrical content isn't really pulling me out of my zone the, the title of this genre is really weird because it's like environment leads you to believe the environment. But I think it's more of a general term referring to kind of like music that is made for certain spaces. It was kind of a big thing that came up in the early 80s. And a lot of these these records were were funded by corporations. So, you know, Dave, I sent you this playlist today and there's a, um artist on there named Yasuwaki Shimizu. I hope that I pronounced that even 10% correctly. Yeah, you're talking about the song Seiko One, correct? Yeah, and he has a whole album called Music for Commercials, which I'm sure was a compilation made after the fact. But, you know, the titles, it's Seiko One and Two, Rico, Shiseido, Honda, Suntory. Like, this is a collection of, of songs that he wrote for, for corporate commercials. You know, it's it's really interesting music. I think in America, we we tend to think of doing these blatantly commercial sort of projects would be selling out. But I think that this music was intended as a way for these artists to have creative control. They could kind of go and follow whatever interest they had and, and, and really just go down um, and create interesting music that they resonated with them. I think, I think, you know, culturally it's, it's just a different story. Well, the notion that following your, Heart with your art, <laughs> I made that rhyme. Uh, has to has to not be profitable. I think is is not necessarily correct. Um, I think a lot of times musicians in, in in the U.S. they build a lot of their brand 
off of a type of like attitude. Um, and that attitude sort of ends up rejecting a lot of the um, sort of the corporate nonsense. And so eventually when, when they do end up selling, selling songs for commercials and things, it's seen as selling out, but there's nothing wrong with getting paid. I mean, some of the greatest art ever made was made for commission. You know, somebody paid an artist to paint a picture of their daughter or, uh, you know, compose a symphony for their, their queen or something. I, I was recently watching the episode of Song Exploder, the 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 last, I, I guess it's season two. I don't know if it's really broken down into seasons. I don't know if you've watched the show yet on, on Netflix, but it's a show where uh, musical artists break down like one specific song. And in this last block of artists that were released, they had the killers and they've been pretty blatantly careerist throughout their whole career. They, they've made no bones about the fact that they want to be the biggest band in the world. It's like ambition somehow, I think, especially within rock music, like over the last 20 years or so has kind of been seen as a bad thing. Artists are shy to say that they want to be huge, right? Or somehow it it means it like demeans their work. I think it's kind of nice to hear an artist just basically say, yeah, I want to get paid. I want to be huge. I want to make amazing music. And I want as many people as possible to hear it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, in the U.S., you know, commercial music may not be, and I say commercial music as in music for commercials may not be seen as a high art form, but there's plenty of other things that are used for branding that end up being uh, collected as piece of art. I don't, I mean, it, the way that the music industry is structured now and, and just the way that in, in sort of our streaming economy for music where artists get paid basically nothing, you know, how is an artist, how is a musical artist supposed to get paid, especially now when, when you can't tour? I don't fault anyone for selling their song to a commercial, you know? Hell, if I was a recording artist, I would sell stuff to a Volkswagen commercial and and that would allow me to continue to make my art. It's such a complicated proposition to think that you can you can uh, be pure and not sell anything and survive. <laughs> well, well, as a podcaster, I'm open for sponsorships. You hear that sponsors? <laughs> Give me free stuff. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Who would be your number one sponsor? I think we've already established in the show that we want the Criterion Collection to sponsor us. Oh, my dream sponsor would be, would, would be Lego, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mine would be like a cheese company. Nice. I bet you know I've been craving some expensive like gooey cheese lately. And Brown got me this. It's like a Pepperidge Farms had like a big sausage in it and some fancy cheese and crackers. And I came down the other night in the middle of the night and just wolfed that shit down. It was so good. And now I want, I want more. I want to, I want to build like a really fancy cheese platter and have some, some paired wine. Uh, that would just be awesome. Guess what I'm getting you for Christmas next year, Dave. Nice. A cheese platter, some fancy wine, <laughs> some roses, put on the boys to men. Wait, am I describing my Christmas present or a date that we're going to go on? I can't tell. <laughs> Yesterday morning, New Year's Day, I woke up and I was like, I like had to have a like a classic New York style uh, bacon, bacon, egg and cheese, which is really hard to find outside of New York somehow, or at least it is where I live. And I was like pissed off about that. Like, why can't I go to the corner store and get like a bacon, egg and cheese on like a soft roll with the like 
American cheese. So we like bought American cheese. We're like, we're going to make this dream happen. But we, um, we never cook with American, like I never make grilled cheeses with American cheese. And I made them yesterday and it was like, what is this magical substance? It actually melts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like, American cheese gets a lot of shit, but it's actually a, a pretty versatile, it pretty is. versatile cheese. Now, I, I don't know if you remember, you and I went on a trip to San Diego probably 15 years ago, probably more than that. I don't know. But uh, I remember we were walking along the dock and there was like an advertisement for this dinner cruise and it looked awesome. And the food looked awesome. We were like, man, I want to go on the dinner cruise. Well, Brown and I actually went on that dinner cruise <laughs> and it was awesome. Like there was good food, uh, and then we like hung out on top of the boat while it went around the harbor. But it was really cold. <laughs> How does this relate to 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 uh, melting delicious American cheese? Well, even more importantly, how does this relate to Japanese environmental music? It does not at all. <laughs> that's the beauty of the podcast. But since we're since we're just doing a shorty today. I just want to throw out a couple rec- like specific recommendations. And maybe we maybe we can throw that that playlist that you made for me up with this episode. I think there's a great there's a primer for anyone who's interested in in Japanese environmental music. And again, I will point out this music is very chill, very relaxing, and just kind of like the perfect antidote to you know all the craziness going on in our lives. But there was a um, compilation put out by a record label called Light in the Attic. They're a Seattle-based small record label. And they put out like a lot of Japanese reissues, uh, stuff that like wasn't previously available in the United States. And a lot of this stuff is on Spotify. Uh, but they put out a compilation called uh, Kankyo Ungaku, which again, I've pronounced 100% correctly because I am uh, <laughs> a native Japanese speaker. Just kidding. Um, I have a compilation here. It's it's a compilation just of one band. It's called Inoyama Land. Um, it's music <laughs> made between 1977 and 2000, but it, it includes music that this band made, or this group, they're not really a band, but this group, they made for an exhibit on slime molds. Do you know if slime molds respond to music, or is the music for the viewers of the slime, slime molds? I don't know. My only knowledge about this stems from Ghostbusters 2, <laughs> where they have the the slime that animates the Statue of Liberty when they play um, Katrina on the Wave song. Yeah, I'm walking on sunshine. I'm going to get you a, 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 a giant <laughs> oil painting of Vigo the the destroyer <laughs> for Christmas next year. <laughs> I want that. Like, please make that happen. <laughs> I think Mondo. I don't know if you're familiar with Mondo. They oh sell yeah, I love Mondo. Vinyl on posters and stuff. I think they actually had a print of Vigo. On sale a couple of years ago. <laughs> so good. Just, just a couple of their shout outs for. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pop over to this uh, playlist, which um, I named Electric Tokyo Deep Ramen Thirst Trap for you, Dave. I don't know why. Like it, that phrase th- that phrase just came to mind, <laughs> and I thought it'd make you laugh. Or uh, E T D R T T for short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, one of okay, so just two more of my favorites. You can check out uh, Hiroshi Yoshimura who um, has this incredible album called Music for Nine Postcards. Which I don't know if technically came out of the environmental music movement, but it's it's basically all done on a really chill keyboard, and it's all very slow, and it's just mind-blowing. And then lastly, uh, uh, Harumi Hosono, who is amazing. 
uh, has a ton of music out there in the world. He's not specifically an environment, environmental music, um, uh, artist, but he, he has, he actually sort of came out of the sort of seventies Japanese scene. He was in a folk band called happy end, which, um, if you've watched, uh, lost in translation, there's a song that's played during the karaoke scene, which is one of their sort of bigger songs. And that's kind of how I initially kind of got into them. Uh, Harry Hosono is very, very cool. So the Hosono song you put on here, which has a name written in Japanese. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know specifically what it's called, but uh, it it's a riff off uh, a Neapolitan song written in the 19th century called Funiculi Funicula. And uh, which was written to commemorate a train, uh, a, a funicular railway uh, being laid down to Mount Vesuvius. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm that's actually super interesting to know that. I, I love the idea that, you know, it's 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 like sampling, basically. It's kind of what we touched on in the last episode where it's globalism. Everyone's influenced by everybody. It's beautiful. I like to think about where things are going to be like 100 years from now when all the, all this stuff has been mashed up even more. Like, will there even be div- divisions like there are now? No. I mean, to some extent, like genre doesn't really even exist anymore, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. I mean, the kids, the kids these days on the TikTok, <laughs> all the music, I mean, to me, all the music sounds like it's like a, a mashup already. Mm-hmm. Hip hop has kind of become pop, right? It's kind of eaten all other genres and become this like enormous, I mean, there's always going to be like the Lumineers playing folk music and clapping or whatever. But like, <laughs> other than that, everyone else is <laughs> post genre. No offense to the Lumineers. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, I think we can wrap it there. I mean, next week we, we hop on that cowboy train. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. All right. So this has been a good little mini episode. I'm McGruff the crime dog. And I'm a magical Japanese cat named Hiromi. <laughs> and we are the planet or no actually we are we're na- we we are not a planet we are from a planet called planet of the meerkats yeehaw <laughs>